Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hi, it's Kelly. And this is Katie. Yes, Kelly is back. We love her. We're always so happy to have you here. Kelly, you're just the best. Um, thank you for filling in for Miss Sarah when she has to be with her baby. <laughs> oh my God. And her baby is like the cutest goddamn thing. I know. Like, you guys, Sarah, I swear, Sarah's eyeballs got transplanted into that little boy. I don't know how that little boy has such big blue eyes. And the blonde hair. Mm. I know. I know. And he's going to have a little British accent. I can't. Oh, my God. That's the best. (laughs) Like, I just, ugh. Right? I love it. So, uh, yes, Kelly is here today. And uh, she's going to be our teacher for our lesson, everybody. So sit reverently. <laughs> Crisscross applesauce. Crisscross applesauce. Fold your arms. And she, I, I believe, do you have opening exercises? I do. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, journal time. And this time, my opening exercises, uh, this comes from my school journal. Okay. Oh, so, I remember those. Yes. Junior year of uh, 1997, like all my English teachers made us write in our journals like yeah. weekly. And so <laughs> um, because this episode is going to be kind of heavy, just warning, like all kinds of self-care, just mm-hmm. love yourself right now. Um, so <laughs> this is, this is just not church related, but here we go. <laughs> okay. March 5th. 1997. A day before my birthday. Oh my God. (laughs) Said, yesterday we went to a one-act play clinic. It was interesting. During the performance, I nearly killed myself twice. (gasps) Oh no. Yes, you guys. (laughs) And one-act play is just that. It's a play that is one act that you perform (laughs) for other people. Okay. Okay, Just to clarify. (laughs) Okay. So I almost killed myself twice. After one scene, I was trying to get off the stage between two benches and someone left a bag in between the benches and I couldn't see because it was black. Well, I tripped over the bag, which made me trip over the bench. The lights come up as I was scrambling over the bench, falling into the backstage. Oh, no. Oh, no. I go on. If that wasn't embarrassing enough... After another scene, during another blackout, as I was trying to get off stage, I started tripping over the ramp and nearly fell, but luckily, Thad was there and caught me and helped me regain my balance. All in all, I was a total klutz yesterday. It was awful. (laughs) I think people were putting things where they shouldn't have been, and it was too dark, and (laughs) you were just tripping. (laughs) Yes, because you're my friend. You say that. Thank you. like nothing has changed for me (laughs) I just wanted to clarify that so yeah that was um have always been slightly clumsy (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah were were you tall when you were a junior no not really I mean I thought I was five nine but that's because I was rounding up well I I think think I was five six that's still pretty tall for I wasn't I was like five six (laughs) oh Oh, okay (laughs) yeah for many a moon, I told people I was 5'9". Term, turns out I'm only 5'8", but... Yeah, you know. I'm only 5'7 and a half. Three <laughs> I, yeah, count those three quarters, yeah. Yeah, oh, okay, okay, so sorry, guys, back. Um, okay, so after, this this episode is going to be um, 
pretty, it's, it's a little difficult for me just because I am, um, you know, work with my therapist in, um, you know, processing a lot of the stuff and kind of taking accountability for my part in things. Um, so mm -hmm. this is going to be, this could be hard. It's going to be hard, but, um, I feel like it's important to talk about and, yeah. um, yeah. So anyway, um, we had been talking about friends and making friends outside the church and, uh, you know, I, I felt, I, you know, I've always wondered why, um, when I was in the church, why people leave the church and they always seem to struggle and just life seems to be so hard. And now I realize, of course, of course it is. Of course, it's going to be a fucking struggle because your entire life, your entire foundation has been completely shifted and altered. Right. Absolutely. Um, so naturally, you know, for me, I, uh, you know, hadn't really been out in the real world. So when I left the church or I guess I should say more when I left my, my ex-husband, um, I had started getting into cycling and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had been an aerobics instructor in my former life. Um, mm -hmm. you know, like the studded like belts. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I had this whole outfit that I would wear um, when I was teaching, ugh, rest in peace, turbo kickbox. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, they were like bright blue pants. I need to send you the picture so that you can <gasps> share it with everybody. Please do. Please do. Bright blue capri <laughs> pants with a black studded belt. I shit you not to this teach aerobics. Giving me life. Wow. And eventually I just noticed like when I threw it out, like it was rusted because of my sweat. I was going to say metal and sweat, but I mean, badass. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was like a different, I was a different person, you know, when I would put that little mic on, I was, I was like super perky, happy Kelly. And I, love um, it. I know it was, it was so much fun, but, uh, it got, it got to where I was just burnt out and doing that. But, um, you know, I had been forced against my will to uh, start teaching cycling, indoor cycling, uh, when I was an instructor, because I had some, one of my instructors like quit last minute and I, I needed to step in and um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I thought it was so much fun. And then um, one of my friends who was actually a member of the church, she was one of the the really like first people to kind of, uh, open my eyes a little bit to nuance. <laughs> okay. being Mormon. Uh -huh. Um, but anyway, so like she, she was one of my instructors. Um, I was like the manager of several clubs and they, uh, she's like, you need to quit being a poser and you need to actually get on a road bike because you know, you're teaching these classes and you don't have anything to back it up. So, you know, I went and started riding outside and immediately I, I fell in love with it. Just the freedom of being out. And it was a way for me to get away from my husband. You know, I was riding bikes for several hours a day. And it's like, as soon as I got into it, because, you know, I've never been a very talented athlete. I was like, okay, maybe I'll be good at this. And I was, decided I wanted to race mm -hmm. because you know, that's normal. Let's buy a bike one day and then start racing the next, <laughs> you know, that's me. That, that screams Kelly. It yeah. really does. Doesn't it? It's, yeah. like, it's like, I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want. Don't tell me no. 
Um, or when you're Mormon, I, I'm going to do whatever the fudge I want. Whatever the freak I want, you whatever freaking guys. Freak. <laughs> so, you know, like, like I said, you know, when we leave the church or when I, when I left the marriage and the church wasn't what I was focusing on at the time. And, you know, I fell away. Um, I did struggle because, you know, as we've previously established, you know, that's your entire world right yes. there. That's your identity. Mm -hmm. um, that's the box that you fit into. And when I got out of that and was out of that relationship, <clears throat> trying to find my own way, I found my way into another box. And uh, because I don't, I don't know where I fit. And so it's like, I'm, I'm constantly trying to find different molds for myself. Um, because once you've lost your entire identity, um, everything that made you who you were, when you start questioning all of those things, you don't know who the fuck you are. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I 100% I agree with this. And I think our listeners, if you've left Mormonism or a high demand religion or a cult, you know that it's it's terrifying in many ways, but particularly because you don't know a lot of aspects of who you are. You, A lot of your personality and your traits have been wrapped up in an organization who gave you those traits and personality. And so you're left wondering, who am I? What do I actually like? What are my, what is my actual personality and destiny and what do I want to do? And it's extremely difficult to sort that out, especially mm -hmm. when you leave as an adult. You're like, where do I fit? And then for a lot of people, and I think like you're going to go into, you pour your energy and your soul and your personality into something else to try to fill that void. One thousand percent. Amen, Sister Katie. Amen, Sister Friend. Okay. So, yeah, I... um. I found another box and that was mm -hmm. cycling because, you know, it was, it was this great community and just like Mormonism, it's, it's kind of a small world. Right. Uh, so, you know, I had friends that I would ride with and really enjoyed it. Um, and also thinking back on it. And I, I used to joke about this a lot of, you know, I would say that I'm always trying to succeed in these male dominated industries. Right. It wasn't until like, yesterday with my therapist that I kind of understood why. <laughs> okay. So because as women in the Mormon church, we are taught to, you know, like we've gone into it, Katie, that we don't matter unless we look a certain way, whatever, prove your worth. You have to prove your worth. Right. And let uh, a man determine if you're worthy. Yes. Because after all, it's only your husband that can bring you into the celestial kingdom. And those guidelines set by men are what you have to follow. And a man is telling you what to do. Mm -hmm. right? right. And so, <clears throat> you know, I, I have since leaving the church, it wasn't until I left the church that I was like, I'm going to take on this male dominated industry <laughs> cycling. And I wasn't doing it like consciously, but I, I was fighting to belong and I was seeking approval from men because, you know, three quarters of the cycling population is men. Like there are so many more men riding than there are women, um, not just in the racing scene, but in just the recreational cyclist scene as well. And so you're, you're in there as a woman, you get, 
they almost, they, they put you, they take you under their wings and they're doing it in a way that is very sweet, but it's very um, patriarchal, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, yeah, patriarchal and maybe even slightly condescending without intentionally being so. And I, I think that this can apply, this is a good metaphor for even a broader sense of how women are treated in uh-huh. many industries, like, because a lot of industries are male dominated. Oh, yes. And so it's almost like if a man takes you under his wing, it's like he's doing you a favor. You're this frail little woman that he's going to tutor or whatever it might be. Yes. A lot of times the best of intentions and it works out fine, but it's different than how they might do it for a male coworker. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, obviously, if, if you are the type of person who's, you know, doesn't, who feels a little lost, people can pick up on that. Oh, and yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost like, it's like neon sign saying, I'm sad, please help me. Uh, vulnerable, vulnerable. Vulnerable. Yes. Thank you. And so, so, you know, my first coach was somebody who, um, he was, he was not a nice person. He was uh, a narcissist. Um, he was abusive to his, his future wife at the time. Um, and he, I mean, he slapped me on a ride one time and, um, you know, like one time I was saying that I was going to win this race and he was like, you never say that. Don't ever go into that. Like with that attitude being like super cocky. Um, and I was like, I'm not being super cocky. I was just like, I'm going to (laughs) win. But then it's like, you can't ever assume that. And then of course, you know, I went out to this race and it was in my head that I wasn't going to win. And I don't even remember if I did or not, but that was in my head. That to me goes against, you know, I'm such a sports gal, but (laughs) um, no, like when I did play, like I played tennis for a small, tiny moment in my life. And it's like the opposite of what you hear in other sports where it's like envision yourself winning. Tell right. yourself you're going to win. You're going to succeed. <laughs> envision hitting the ball. Envision making the basket. Instead of like, nah, don't assume that you're going to win. You're just going to be shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so it was like, even though I was starting to have some success, that right there was like, nope, you're still not good enough. <sighs> and, you, you know, it wasn't just with this coach. Like, you know, it. Also, just like with with men in general, like with my brothers, you know, growing up with men, like everything in my life has been male dominated. Like all of my fucking animals are males. And, <laughs> you know, I have two boys and a husband. Oh, I see. That's so funny. You're, I didn't even put that together. You're the only woman or female person, female it. animal in the in the household. <laughs> the entire house. You need to get like a female fish or something. <laughs> I should. I really should. Um, you know, so like we're in these male dominated worlds already. And so we make this transition into another one. And yes, if you're not mentally like it's natural, obviously, for some women to to be more um, geared towards that because they relate more with men. Like I typically have better friendships with men um, or I have in the past. Um, I'll have to dig into that with my therapist. But so, um, you, you know, like trying to prove myself in this world. Right. And I was doing well, I was racing well. Um, and that was like my proof that I was quote good enough when I would win a race and I could be on the top of that podium and have that picture that meant I was good enough. 
So it was something tangible, right? Yeah. So but it makes me sad because, yeah, I mean, but this goes for so many things. I just wish women and people felt good enough and worthy without having external validation. But we all know it's not that easy. <laughs> no, it's not. And like, it's something that I'm learning is, is almost impossible for me. Um, but like after, you know, I got the divorce and I threw myself into racing and I threw myself into training and um, I, we moved to Austin and it wasn't the same. Like the guys in Dallas, aside from my coach, they were typically nice guys. Like, yeah, they would try and like protect you on rides and do things that aren't necessary, but they did it like they were kind people mm -hmm. and they would never leave you behind on a ride. You know, people like that. Yeah. Yeah. I come to Austin and it's like a whole new world. And um, I just don't fit in the Austin vibe. I, especially back then when I was, you know, I didn't even know who I was and Austin's so different and so weird and everybody's so unique. And I'm like, I don't know how to fit because I can't mold myself into what you guys are, what you guys are. Cause I can't tell because <laughs> you're all <laughs> yeah. individuals. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable, but um, so it just wasn't the same. And, you know, I was on this team that was still based in Dallas and, um, it was going to be merging with another men's team. And I, at the time I decided I moved to Austin and I was like, you know what? I just, I, I want to be a part of a women's team. And none of the women here in Austin invited me to be a part of their team. And so I took that personally because, you know, that's me. And, um, I decided I was going to create my own team. And, um, so I was leaving one box for another. I found the box that I was going to crawl into. And that box was racing a cycling team. That was my box. And that's what KB was really. Um, so I started my own team so that I could have friends because, uh, you know, as we talked about, like, I don't know how to make friends. Um, and I don't know how to, like, how to start friendships or anything. So in my mind, like, when you're on a team, you all wear like the same uniforms and things like that. And so when I created my own team, I was like, you know, I want to make sure that everybody has the same uniform and I wanted to make sure to pro provide that, the cycling kits for them and, you know, some race entries. And I was like, because if I give them things, then they'll stay and they'll like me. And wonder where that came from. No idea. No <laughs> clue. Everyone listening to the next moment is like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, whoa, I've been seen. I all want to look the same. And second of all, um, I've been taught to give and give and give in order yeah. to be worthy and people like me, aka the church to be worthy. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, I I mean at first it was great, but the thing is, I it could have been awesome. And there were some really great things that happened with me being in the racing community. This is not the podcast for me to talk about how shiny, happy, lovely it was. <laughs> this is the <laughs> podcast for me, like this fucking sucked. And this is what happened and this is why. Uh, so already <clears throat> you're going into the racing scene and it's it's different than just the riding recreational scene. Like um, cyclists uh, tend to think that everybody thinks cycling is amazing when typically we don't. Um, <laughs> Most 
most people don't even think about it. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, it's just not the forefront of anybody's mind unless you're about to mow down somebody. <laughs> I'll be honest. We live in a neighbor, like this area of Phoenix. And there's this crazy busy street just like off of the corner of where we live. And a lot of cyclists love to take that road, like to get to wherever they're going. And every time we're driving, me and Scar are like, oh my God, that person's going to get hit because there's crazy drivers on that road. And we're like, just hope that you're going to be okay, dude, because you chose to ride on this road. And that's like the only time we think about cyclists. <laughs> okay. I'm dying because that is so accurate. And like when I was in this world, in this little box, like that, that was my world. Like that was my little Barbie land. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and <laughs> I had no idea that people outside of it are like, this is the dumbest thing. Like you're really wearing like spandex out in front of everybody. I mean, honestly, I have, I think it's, it's cool that they can, there's all that stamina and that people do it like props. Oh yeah. Mega props. I think it's great. But also I do not have, first of all, the endurance but second of all I do not have the balls to ride <laughs> on a busy road like a busy eight lane road where people run into freaking fences all the time well, <laughs> I'm like, oh god I'm gonna die <laughs> oh my gosh I know and I used to do that like I would ride for hours I'm not lying like wow a, a weekend I would go for like a 70 mile ride like holy shit like if it was anything less than 20 I didn't feel like it was worth my time I don't even want to drive 70 miles. No, and I didn't either. <laughs> but it was like, at the time, I was like super punishing my body. Oh, um, yeah. That's a whole other thing. That, exactly. That we can go into diet culture and then add Mormonism, um, perfectionism on top of it. It's it's a recipe for disaster. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like extra. It's like yeah. the, the super gold version. Um <laughs> Super big goal, perfect body <laughs> hatred. Yay. Yay. Yay being Mormon. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I set the stage, right? Because I, I had bought my friends um, and I had no boundaries. So those things together are, are pretty not great. And, uh, you know, I was actually super, super lucky with a lot of the women that I brought into my circle because they were good people. And, um, there were some incredible women that I wish I had stayed connected to, um, because, you know, I'll get into it, but once people leave again, you know, we talked about that out of sight, out of mind, I have like no object permanence. I'm just like, if I'm out of there, then nobody's thinking about me. So, um, but I, I tried to give them as much as possible to constantly prove that, you know, I was worth it. This team was worth it. And I didn't just do that with the athletes. I did that with the sponsors as well. So, you know, my job after I, you know, I raced up until about 2018 and then I was like done. I wasn't going to do it anymore. I upgraded to where I could race at the professional level. And then I just quit because I knew I was going to fail, which like, okay. <laughs> what? Why do we do that, Katie? I don't know. And it, it's like you're sabotaging yourself. Yes, self-sabotaging. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I threw everything into helping these women that I brought into my circle, into my life, helping them achieve their dreams. 
because I was like, you know, if I can't be good enough to race, they will, they are, and I'm going to help them get there. And, you know, because I believed in people a billion times more than I ever believed in myself. Um, so I, I just was obsessed with keeping these people on my team. Um, oh, I'm sorry. So what I was saying was that, uh, sponsors as well. So it's like super cutthroat and like, like I said, it's the cycling, the racing world is not very big, especially in the States. And so you have a lot of, um, people fighting for the same, for the same thing. Like everybody's <laughs> fighting for a certain type of components for their bikes. Like it's either going to be Shimano or it's going to be SRAM. You're either going to be sponsored by one or the other or nothing. And so you t constantly had to like prove that you're worth it, right? You're worth the investment, which just makes sense. There is very little ROI return on investment with cycling, especially with supporting women's teams, because we all know how sad that the world of women's sports is like, it's not televised the same. The women aren't treated the same. I mean, that's a whole different, oh, absolutely. Wax, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I always went into it. I was like, with my sponsors, it wasn't necessarily what we could get, but it was what we could give. And so I was, which isn't bad. Like I was focused on giving back to the communities in order to prove to the sponsors that we were worth giving bikes, money, you know, kits, whatever to. Right. I think that's a healthy form of give and take and exactly. approval and appreciation and, and worthiness, I guess, as we would say but there's a line when it becomes unhealthy. Yeah. Like there, you should be, there should be a healthy exchange, right? Not mm -hmm. just give, 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 burnout. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so like the women, you know, I stopped racing. I wanted them to, to get to that level, the next level that I had always wished I could race at, but never did never had the confidence to. And, um, at the same time, my dad was dying. So like I, it was 2018 going into the 2019 season. And I decided that I was going to take the team to the quote next level and race on the elite circuit. Um, and you know, that, that year went really, really well. 2018 was going super well. Um, my dad was battling cancer and things like that. Um, and so uh, sidewalk cupcake, <laughs> um, you know, at the time, at this time also, I, that's when I was going through my faith crisis. Right. Um, you know, when my dad got sick, you know, at, at that time, I already didn't believe in the church, but I didn't like have my own testimony of why I didn't believe the church was true. <laughs> <laughs> Your non-testimony, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I just kind of like relied on other people to tell me how to think and what to do. And when my dad was dying and um, I didn't know how to think, I didn't know what to do. There was nobody telling me what to do because I wasn't part of any cult telling me mm -hmm. how to think, how to process, how to feel. And when you don't believe that in the Mormon afterlife, in what you've been taught your entire life, it's super like unsettling, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's one of the hardest things, I, in my opinion, to wrap your head around because you you don't have that confirmation, quote unquote, mm -hmm. of of what's going to happen. So you don't have that comfort, and right. that was 
honestly, I think that was the hardest thing for me to let go of because who doesn't want to think that you're going to see your loved ones after death. Right. And that's (laughs) it. Yeah. It was, it was so hard because like, you know, at this time I was also running a race team. I had two kids. I was working full time. I had a husband. Um, So already I was super tapped out. And then I was like taking care of my dad as well. Um, And at the time, like, and now uh, alcohol is super prevalent in the cycling community. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, I mean, they sponsor stuff. Like I was literally sponsored by a distillery. Like we had cases of vodka in my garage and I was heavily abusing alcohol because I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to cope. Anytime that I would feel something uncomfortable, I would have to numb it. And, you know, yeah. before it was it was riding my bike for hours and, and punishing my body. Right. And then it turned into, you know, I would ride, punish my body. And then once I was done, I was like, okay, I need to have a drink. And yeah, it wasn't instead just... of processing and healing. Yeah. Exactly. Like I was, I, I would ride with headphones in and I would drink afterwards and I would, you know, it was, I wasn't allowed to feel anything because also at the time, you know, my dad's dying and my you know, I, I don't know what to do with life. My, my faith is deconstructing. Um, and you know, I also, I was having issues with my ex-husband, all, all of this all happened at the same time. And then, um, I became obsessed with leaving a legacy because, you know, when you die, this was, my dad was the first person close to me that had ever passed away. Um, and, thinking that when you're gone, you're gone, like really shook me to the core. And so I decided like, I have to leave a mark. I cannot be forgotten because again, once I'm gone, there you go. Like, that's like my mantra. Um, so in back from that sidewalk cupcake back in uh, 2018, one of my athletes, uh, she won the uh, national criterium championship. Like that was the first year that we raced on the professional level and she won like the biggest race, which was amazing. Like there are so many people who haven't had that, like, and that was my program. You know, I keep having to to remind myself at this time that, you know, this was because of my, the opportunities that I was providing these athletes that they were able to do this. But after, after she won, I became super panicked because I didn't want to lose her because if I lost her, that meant that she didn't like me, that I wasn't good enough, that we would never be friends again, because why would she wouldn't have any use for me? Mm-hmm. And um, she ended up like signing her first pro contract. And I was just, I, I tried holding on to her so tightly that, you know, I ended up like pushing, pushing her away because I, I felt like, you know, such sorrow and sadness and betrayal when she left. Mm -hmm. And that was ridiculous. Like looking back on it now, I'm like, this had nothing to do with me. She had so many incredible opportunities with this new program that I couldn't provide. But in my mind, it was like, she had to leave because I can't provide this. Hmm. And um, so that's when I got like super, like started really freaking out because, you know, I'm wanting to leave a legacy And I'm losing athletes that can help me get there wherever there was. Um, And, you know, I'm in this 
cycling industry, which is extremely toxic and competitive, um, is just, there are some really ugly people out there and, um, they all seem to be in the cycling industry, <laughs> at least from what I've seen. <laughs> um, but you know, oh, I, I, I know a couple that aren't, <laughs> won't yeah, name names, but hey, oh, <laughs> you know me, I will name names. <laughs> I love your call outs. <laughs> I know, and I'm, but I'm scared to name anyone here. So, um, <laughs> But, you know, at this time also, when I lost, quote, lost this athlete, um, one of the girls that had been on the team from the very beginning had become um, my, quote, best friend. And so this is another reason, you guys, why I'm so fucked up when it comes to friends, because I tell you what, abuse doesn't just happen with family. It doesn't just happen with a romantic partner. Abuse happens with friends, too. Uh-huh. And if, let me just tell you. If you're Googling, am I a narcissist? You're not. <laughs> you know how many times I've been like, oh my God, like I just think the whole world revolves around me. Like my anxiety is telling me like, I did this wrong. So-and-so doesn't like me. Blah, 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 blah. And then I'll go, oh my God, am I a narcissist? And then it, the first thing people say is if you're going to ask yourself if you're a narcissist, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that took me such a long time because, you know, of, of course I wasn't going to therapy or anything, but I was in this extremely abusive, manipulative relationship and um, where like very, uh, very good at being um, a narcissist, very, very good at it. Um, and she also helped kind of poison me against other people on the team, making me think that they were only there because I was giving them things. They were only there because, you know, they, uh, wanted to race with this other girl. It wasn't because of, you know, they were just there. They're mean girls. They're all mean girls. And I was just like, they've not been mean to me. And she's like, well, that's because you're giving them stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so after... Yeah, she was a piece of work and um, she ended up not being on the team, um, thankfully, but uh, when the 20, so 2020 happened and like everything was awful. And then I decided that I was done drinking. I had had all of mine. And so I stopped. Um, But then I, I continued to put everything I had into this team because again, I wanted to leave this legacy. Um, we were part of this series that was uh, that helped kind of support the teams as they were racing across the country. They would um, provide host housing where you would like spend the night at someone's house um, that you didn't even know, which if you're doing that, that means you're not a pro team. I'm sorry if you can't pay for your own housing. Um, so we would uh, stay, you know, with random people and they would cover the race entries and um, they had really good payouts for these these races. And so we were pretty much covered and we kind of coasted on that. Like I had gotten a lot of sponsorships when, um, when we had won the, the pro national championship. And then I, um, I, I kind of like shit the bed the next year. Cause I wasn't able to maintain it. Um, cause we had lost that spark. Right. And I kept trying to, to get it back. I was so obsessed with success again. And, uh, so this, this program, that had provided so much for the teams um, ended up kind of exploding at the last minute. Um, And so I ended up having to come up with money resources extremely last minute um, 
because this series wasn't going to happen. And uh, the previous season, you know, things had been had been great. It ended on a great note. I had decided that I was going to make an impact on the cycling world. I was going to make a difference um, because I wanted my name. I wanted Wolfpack to be known forever. Um, and so I like after, you know, the 2021 season had ended and we were going into this momentum, going into the 2022 season, that program shit the bed. And I started having to figure out what to do next. Um, and so I, I really like got into the service aspect of it because I was like, I need to prove my worth. This team needs to prove their worth because I was a little re more realistic about it than some people. Um, because like I knew that I wasn't there yet. I wasn't at the level where I could support my athletes the way some other teams do. Um, I wasn't able to pay them a salary or do any of those things. And to me, that was a huge failure. But um, I, I, I wanted to get to that point. So I knew that I would have to prove to my sponsors during the 2023 season that, you know, we were worth it and we were so close. Right. Um, but at the same time, this whole time that I'm doing all these things, this, this whole time that I'm running a team and I'm creating programs for the Girl Scouts of America, for um, the the United States, basically, like I, I created this uh, training program or um, what is it called? A clinic. I don't even use the word clinic anymore because it's so fucking triggering, you guys. But I was teaching these workshops to women on how to ride bikes and um, just a, a fuck ton of community service um, because I felt like I was a fake. I felt like because I'd never raced at that level because I had was fairly new because I I've always felt like I had no fucking clue what I was doing the entire time from, I swear to God, the entire time I was acting like I knew what I was doing. And inside, deep inside, I was like, okay, if anybody finds out that I, like, I feel this way, that I, I have no clue what the fuck I'm doing, like, they're going to know that I'm this fraud, and everything's going to come down, come crashing around me, um, because- Major if you, imposter syndrome, right? Oh, God, huge, but I, I still, I still feel like I didn't belong, because that community was, uh, there were, there were some people who, who made it clear that I didn't, um, I wasn't, I, I never was part of the in crowd. Um, and I always wanted to be, and, you know, it was funny cause like during the 2021 season, um, I got to know a lot of the other directors and teams and things like that, because I wanted people to like me so bad that I was just like, I'm going to change this. I'm going to make everybody friends. Like, I really thought I was going to do this. <laughs> um, and well, you know, I, know I something that, sorry to cut you off. No, please. Do. I was just reflecting. Um, when did we first meet? Was it 2019? Oh God. I think it was 2018. Okay. So <laughs> wait, it's just, yeah, so it was 2019. You're right. You're right. It's just so fascinating to look back on and hear how you were feeling because like we would communicate not nearly as much as we do now and obviously I would see you on social media and I was and have always been in awe of you and sa same with Sarah where we'd be like Kelly is 
such a badass. Like, she's so gorgeous. She's so talented. She's so successful. And to think that this whole time you were feeling these feelings, it's really, like, revelatory. And it's also quite fascinating to me because I feel like you and I, and, and Sarah probably feels this way too, but speaking for myself, I felt like you and I connected immediately and we've been mm-hmm. friends since and I didn't feel like we had to like prove our friendship to each other it was just there yeah Whereas, um it's it you you're an extremely easy person to get along with whereas you were killing yourself to be liked and to be accepted by this group that wasn't wasn't giving you that worthiness it's I guess I'm just interrupting you to say that it's very fascinating to me and it's just proof that what you see is almost never what's really happening inside someone's mind or in their life. Precisely. Oh my God. Thank you for saying all of that because, you know, it, it, I'm sure that there were people who started teams because they thought, oh my gosh, Kelly can do it. You know, if, if she can do it, anybody can kind of thing. Um, and got chewed up and spit out by that, that environment. Um, because it's, it's, it's just not, it's not healthy. It is, it is period. End of story, not healthy. Mm-hmm. People are super competitive. And then when you lose your identity, um, yeah, it, the, these athletes don't do well, uh, when they, they're no longer racing. Um, <clears throat> and when they, they aren't able to maintain that same, um, fitness level, they, it, it becomes a very, uh, very selfish, very self-centered, uh, environment. And I was trying right. to get people to get outside of themselves and to serve others. And that was a, like, literally like staping jello to a fucking tree. I could not staple <laughs> that jello. It was just going <laughs> to fall off. And it, it, <laughs> like, I kept trying to force this. And you know, uh, what? it sounds like it, like, it, it sounds like you lost your identity once from you know leaving your husband in the mormon church and then you thought you found it again and then you're uh, again losing your quote-unquote identity because it was so so much stake was put into this other community exactly and like i i felt like this was all i had um i had put um I think I've been in the cycling world for 12 years. Like I put a significant amount of time into this. Mm-hmm. And when I felt like I wasn't able to, like I was really struggling with getting the money and and things like that, like, because I was so, this was all I had. This was all that I felt I had. Like it didn't, it, it's so, it breaks my heart because like, maybe I could have been a, you know, a better mother. Maybe my son would still be living with me today. Like maybe, um, had I not put everything into this fucking nothing, this, this team of now it's gone and it doesn't, nobody remembers it's because it's like cycling teams come and go. It's not like I was going to literally change the world with this, even though I thought I was. Um, so when things got kind of bad, and I was having to like really like pull it out of my ass to make the season work. And I'd always made it work before this year. It, it just wasn't going to happen. And so I got super panicky and that triggered. Um, I've always had trouble with like mood stability, but I uh, this triggered like a pretty bad manic episode where 
I was having, it was crazy is mania can also be like super awesome because I was having all of these incredible ideas. They were just like shooting out of me and, um, they, they were all great ideas. And there were people who believed in these ideas and were like, yes, you can do this. You can do this. Um, and so I started having even more ideas and getting even more into it. And then, I was assaulted at Tulsa Tough, one of our races, and then it felt to me like everything was crumbling, and I was just trying to keep it together. Um, after that happened, you know, this the cycling community, like, this just tells you, like, how fucked up it was. Like, it, you know, this incident happened in the middle of the day at a race. There were multiple witnesses. Um I went to Safe Sport, which is the, uh, they're like the, the people that you go to to report issues of harassment in sport. Mm -hmm. Like they were really big when the the whole gymnastics thing was going on, right? Oh, right. Yeah. So I went to Safe Sport and told them about this incident, and um, it was really hard, like reliving it again. Like I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to go anybody to anybody, but I felt like they needed to be aware that this happens at events and um, that they need to protect, find a way to protect these women that go to these events. Um, and they dropped the case. They literally did nothing with it. They were like, we, we don't, we don't care. <laughs> and um, wow. yeah, it was, it was awful. I was super invalidated and it crushed me. Um, and, you know, after this, this happened in Tulsa, you know, a normal person, also known as somebody other than me, a normal person would have probably stopped, right? <laughs> but I kept pushing because I had all of these obligations to other people and I couldn't let them down. I was, I was letting myself down. <laughs> like, you guys, like, there were no boundaries set not just with other people, but with myself, which I, I just, again, fucking realized just the other day. It's like, how do you, how do you, I, I don't even know how to set boundaries with myself. Like, that's another thing we're going to have to talk about. But, yeah. um, you know, like after this incident happened, I drove the girls up to Wisconsin and I had an athlete, a little girl um, flying in to, again, one of my ideas, she was going to fly in and I was going to be her like, her uh, support for uh, her first race weekend. I was basically adopting her and she was going through the program anyway. So I had to be there and I couldn't go to the races anymore because what happened at Tulsa, I couldn't, I couldn't go physically to a race. So as soon as we got to um, Wisconsin, we had this big long race start. And that first night we won. And I, I wasn't there for it. Um, and when I found out we won, I started just sobbing because I was feeling very much like anytime something really fucking bad happened to me, something good would happen and vice versa. And I felt like I, that was my payment for what happened oh in Tulsa God, was, no. uh, you know, us winning. <sighs> and, um, so I kept going and, um, like the athletes 
tried to tell me to, you know, stop. You don't need to keep keep going, keep doing these clinics. But um, at the same time, like I had, it was difficult for me to put people on a roster because I had so many injuries. There were so many injuries and um, people unable to race. And I would go to these clinics that I had to teach around the country. And I, sometimes I would be the only one teaching. And so if I hadn't gone, those clinics wouldn't have happened. If those clinics had have been canceled, I would have lost out on a lot of financial support that I'd gotten from the governing body of cycling, which was USA Cycling, to do these clinics. Um, and like, I wasn't paying myself. I was like, I was just going through the motions because I was like, okay, if I can just get through this, we're going to make it. I was it's so still... fascinating to me because that mindset is so Mormon. Yeah. Like just get through and everything will be better after you die. And then also how you were saying, oh, I, I, I lost it, but just a lot of like the Mormon mindset of like, I just need to keep doing this. Oh, and the whole like something good will happen to me if yes. something bad happened because mm -hmm. that's the way of like repentance or whatever, right? Yeah. Or like God making it up to you if something happened. Yeah. And it 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 was extremely it was so unsettling because as I looked back on different things that had happened and different quote stumbling blocks that had been laid in my path to try and get me to like get off this fucking crazy train, um, I kept like hurtling over them and you know climbing over them, and it took. I mean, it was it ha it took more than what happened at Tulsa to get me to stop. Like I, I had to be completely financially devastated. I had to lose my everything um, in order to finally realize that this obsession of mine was clearly not serving me, especially when I ended up in the hospital. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, oh, maybe, maybe I should stop. It wasn't until then that after like three days in the hospital, mind you, that I was like, oh, okay, that's, this is not going so well for me, is it? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And it's like, again, Ugh. I lost my entire identity. And so it's, it's hard for me because like, I keep finding myself trying to fit in other boxes and because I'm not comfortable with who I am yet. Cause I still don't know who that is. Um, right. and you know, I, I know, I know people who who weren't members of the church. I mean, this, there's this thing called a midlife crisis, right? Like mm -hmm. it's a thing when you, you really start thinking about your mortality. Um, but it's like next level when you have been a believing member of the church until you're in your, you're an adult. Once you've been through the temple and you've, you've been part of that, like drinking the Kool-Aid it's, I mean, you're so much more susceptible to, um, getting into these, these environments, I guess, oh, into these situations. Yeah. Absolutely. Because like high demand, anything, right. Anything. Whether it be like an organization or a sports team or a job or a club or an MLM, you mm -hmm. know, any, any of that stuff, it's like, there's almost like it's, it's all in or all out because you're really susceptible to being all in in the yeah. church and then you leave and then you're like okay well now what can I 
make my personality? What can I fill my, my, the void with? And it's yes. healthy, like, oh, let's, let's see what interests me and have moderation. It's like, go all in. And that also could be a relationship, which can be very bad. If your whole is just pouring yourself into one other person, which yes, give as much as you can. That's healthy to your relationship to make it work, but it's not, it shouldn't be everything about you. Right. And yeah. And your story is such a great example. And I think so many people like have done the same thing and they think, Oh, if I could just succeed in this and be the greatest and put everything into it, then that'll mean that I'm good enough that I'm worthy. And there, we hadn't been taught balance. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Or no, the boundaries thing is what's the worst because if you are going to give there are, I mean, there are so many beautiful, wonderful people out there, but if you're going to just stand out there and start throwing out, you know, plane tickets, like you're fucking Oprah, <laughs> the people are going to show up that are going to take advantage of that. And there, yeah. there absolutely were people like that, that, that took advantage of my uh, generosity. And um, it's, it just further solidified in my mind that, you know, again, if I don't provide something, people won't want to be around me because they, I, I just realized that they were there just because of what I could give them, you know? And so yeah. I don't, I don't really understand um, why it took me so long to realize it, that um, it was that horrible. Like I created, I, I masterminded this really for myself (laughs) is because I wanted to make it in this men's, you know, male dominated industry, prove that I am worth it as a woman and also get other women involved in, you know, women, women, women. And I, I don't like, why, why do I feel like I have to, to accomplish something for men? Why do I have to get men to say that I'm good enough? It's because of how we were raised. Yes. Because every, every woman lives in a patriarchal society, but then you add on a religion that literally does not give power to women and you must go to an interview from a man to tell you if you're worthy to go into a temple, to go to a heaven that's run by a man. (laughs) And if you get to heaven, you're going to be a plural wife. That's why, because. We've been taught that our worthiness comes from men telling yes. us we're worthy, telling us we're pretty enough, that we're good enough, that whatever, whatever it might be. And I, I still struggle with this because it's hard to shake things that were taught to you since you were like three years old. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And it's like, you know, it's almost like we could just create this little series, like put them all in like my episodes and be like, this is how the church fucked me up. You know, it's just like, (laughs) let's just (laughs) rehash all of the trauma. I'm just going to like basically get naked in front of you guys. (laughs) I know. Hey, Hey, (laughs) I mean, I have had some work done. So (laughs) you do have that BYU crop top. I do, I do. I wore it the other day. I was like loving it. Oh, I, sh- I should wear that more often, but yeah. So, um, toxic environments, uh, I'm, I'm really good at them. 
you're very attracted to them and I think it's a great point like like listeners I bet you're all probably thinking back on when you left the church or even right now like assess (laughs) you're probably assessing your life being like oh shit why was I attracted to that situation or that person and then why did I become so obsessed or felt like I needed to prove myself so much to the point where it was hurting me yeah and of course, this can happen outside of people who have left the the Mormon church, but I do think that we are more susceptible to these kind of things. Yes. And you got to be careful and protect yourself and set boundaries and and know when something is not healthy, you know? Right. And And realize when something isn't serving you and also wonder why you keep being attracted to these things. Um, it's it's interesting to really look inside yourself and, and be like, why does this chaos feel comfortable? Right. Right. Yeah. It's like, we've we've said this before. Um, Kelly and I both like, so she left her ex-husband and uh, luckily she's found a great partner. I left the church and right as I was leaving the church, I got into a absolutely horrible relationship but I won't go into details but it was extremely abusive and it lasted way longer than it should have but I felt like I needed to prove myself to him like I needed to be good Mm -hmm. enough for him and I it was almost like that awful harrowing really disturbing abusive situation was almost like where I felt comfortable like you said in another box yeah and it and and then I left that box. Thank celestial Jesus. I like was able to leave. Um, and then I started dating other guys and it was just a shit show. But then I finally found my now partner fiance and we started dating and he was so fucking nice to me and so respectful and like didn't tear down my appearance and didn't push me to do things I didn't want to do and was funny. And I felt content to the point where I would like obsess and be like, okay, what's he hiding? Like, is he cheating? Just like, I, I was just so like not comfortable with being comfortable. Yes. I would almost like start drama for like that first year that we were dating. And he'd be like, just, just chill. Like, I like just you. Calm and this, down. He learned how to be like respected. Yeah. And you, you have to like really navigate yourself out of those situations whether yeah it be like an organization a job a team or a relationship it's like okay ah, I found myself in this situation which feels like this is where I should be this is what I deserve but no you deserve way better yeah and to be living in that day in and day out and being so stressed and in some cases abused it's like no things are not supposed to feel this way even though it might feel like you deserve it to be that way. exactly and that's what that's kind of the message I want to put out there was like, you can get help. You can get better. It is so possible. If it, like I said, if, if I can do it, <laughs> like anybody can, cause I mean, that's I'm only so... one layer of the onion. That was my year last year. Yeah. Yeah. And can and, I say, I'm so yes. proud of you. Oh, like, like it, yeah, you went through so much hell and you really did put your entire heart into that. And just to like 
come out on the other side and to get rid of that toxic um, environment, I'm very proud of you. Because you, you always say, people always say like, well, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just change? And it's, it's like very, very difficult. It's like saying, well, why don't you just leave the church? It's not fucking easy. No, it's, <laughs> it's so not. Difficult. Yeah. <laughs> because you're also abusing yourself mentally. Let's Absolutely. be real. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I do still struggle with like self-hatred in your thoughts because I oh uh, yeah <laughs> like I've gotten a million times better but it's like still a thing that you have to work on all the time like being and like I, yourself yeah <laughs> I can't remember if I said that in, in this in the episode that we are not airing because um <laughs> I chickened out but did, <laughs> I can't remember if I said it uh in that one or, or an earlier one but um I just lost my train of thought. Oh, I remember now. Okay. Hello. It's me. Um, so I was, I was just wondering um, why we, and I did it again. Oh my God, Katie, you have got to totally cut this out because I keep like laughing at myself and then forgetting what I'm saying. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Shit. What was I going to say? It was like, oh, okay. I remember now. Okay. Beep. We're back to business. Kelly has remembered what she was going to say. Um, I forgot it again. No, you did not. Because <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. And now my brain is stopping. So what I do when I'm in situations like this is I give myself neutral affirmations. Oh, yes. We did talk about neutral affirmations. Please, God, cut that out. <laughs> Because it was like, I kept getting like, because I was like, oh my God, I'm I'm being recorded. And then I got super like deer in headlights. And um, yeah. So okay, tell me maybe just leave it that. in so people know that I'm a fucking disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was great. Tell me about neutral affirmations. So with neutral affirmations, like when I'm sitting there saying I'm a fucking disaster, instead of saying that, I would just be like, you know what? It's okay to, to mess up. It happens. It doesn't mean that you're bad. No, you're a human. Everyone, yeah, no one's perfect. Nobody's perfect. (laughs) No, nobody, nobody's perfect. Oh, and like with positive affirmations, they just felt so out of touch. You know, it was like, I couldn't sit there and tell myself, you are an amazing daughter of the universe of a heavenly father who loves you and we love him. Oh God, stop. Um, I know, I know. It like, I, I can't do that. And so right now that's actually something I'm working on again, because you, it is so easy to slip back into those comfortable cranky pants where you're just not happy with yourself. And, um, you, you feel like you deserve to be mentally abused by yourself, which is weird. Yeah. Yeah. But I definitely do that. Dang. Oh God. Yeah. Um, but therapy, like, Seriously, if you find a great therapist, it it helps tremendously. But something that really helped me more than anything was group therapy because I was able to share to people who got it, who understood, who wouldn't judge me, who wouldn't be like, why in the fucking hell did you stay? Why did you get yourself into several tens of thousands of dollars of debt just to run this stupid team of people who you know, we'll just go somewhere else. It's not like they have to be on your team, but 
you know, it's just yeah. what we do. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Well, thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing as usual. You're yeah. the best. <laughs> Maybe I'll actually let you air this one. <laughs> It's Aaron. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. I won't let have the listeners listen to my next part. So oh. I can close. Okay. Oh, that's a little tea. God, you guys, I am not normally this awkward. <laughs> I think it's great. Well, it's like, it's like listeners. vulnerability hangover. Oh yeah. You know, oh, I get it. Yes. Um, all right. Well, that concludes this lesson. And we say these things in the name of Satan. Amen. And <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.